You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to The Strength to Heal, brought to you by the United States Army. Your host is trauma surgeon Dr. John Armstrong. Dr. Armstrong is a former Army colonel who served as director of the U.S. Army Trauma Training Center in Miami, Florida, and chair of the ACS Army Committee on Trauma. The world is getting smaller. Tropical medicine emerging as global health care. Our guest is Colonel and Dr. Lisa Keep, preventive medicine physician and director of tropical public health at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences in Bethesda, Maryland. Welcome, Dr. Keep. Thanks so much. Well, what is tropical medicine? Well, I think the origin of tropical medicine probably started out with people of European origin going into the tropics and trying to keep themselves healthy. As time has gone on, it's changed quite a bit, and obviously the focus became in the native populations. And also as time has gone on and developing countries have become more developed, the new term really is global health. And I think the philosophical focus has changed into trying to ensure that Native populations have the means with which to improve their own health. And in fact, that seems to be happening in lots of parts of the world. So for instance, whereas in lots of former lesser developed countries, their problems were very much focused on infectious diseases, now often we'll see lifestyle diseases with sometimes overweight being a problem or smoking or drinking and those sorts of things. And it's expected that in the next, oh, 10 or 20 years, the disability-adjusted life years lost on a worldwide basis, the top ones will really be from things like heart disease, depression, traffic accidents, and not so much from things that we might classically think of as being tropical medicine. So I think that as time goes on, the real definition has changed and will continue to change. Well, certainly tropical medicine sounds exotic, and yet you highlight that our global community is certainly becoming more unified as a population in health. How do you become a tropical medicine physician? Well, you can start as early as medical school and do some volunteer overseas service or in residency. Certainly my specialty, preventive medicine, and particularly in the Army, has quite a focus on tropical medicine because we send troops overseas and want to make sure that they stay healthy while they're deployed, or any other residency, really, even surgical residencies. For example, There was a recent documentary that was also shown on NOVA about obstetric fistula. So that is a real problem in developing countries that don't have enough obstetric care. Once you are already boarded or out in practice, there are still ways to become involved in tropical medicine and to learn more about tropical medicine. So, for example, the American Society of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene has a certification program, and you can take a diploma course and then sit for the examination. There's also a practice pathway for people who already have substantial training and practice in tropical medicine. But since there's no American Board of Medical Specialty board in tropical medicine, this is the only credential that exists right now. And I'm very fortunate in that my university, the Uniformed Services University, has a course, one of these diploma courses. There are only 18 around the world, most of them in the U.S., a few in other nations. And we take civilians in our program as well as military, can sit through this diploma program and then sit for the examination and have quite a bit of training. What is the interest at this point in your tropical medicine program? Well, we do a lot of different things. The most recent work I have been doing is regarding tuberculosis, which used to be a huge problem for the Army. Back in World War I, it was the main reason people had to be put out of military service for being unfit for duty was tuberculosis. 
luckily, as our own country has developed and our rate of tuberculosis has changed quite a bit, unfortunately, our screening policies haven't really kept up quite as well. And so we still screen people for tuberculosis using the skin test on entry to military service and also before and after deployment. However, because tuberculosis isn't so much of a problem, sometimes even in the countries we go to, or if it is a problem, say, for example, Afghanistan, which has a high rate of tuberculosis, but where our troops don't necessarily work in settings where that would lend itself to transmission of tuberculosis, which typically requires prolonged indoor contact, we still screen those people. And the skin test itself, the operating characteristics are such that it can cross-react with non-tuberculous mycobacteria, or if people had been vaccinated with BCG, if they were foreign-born, they can cross-react. And so we think that we are over-testing. Of course, the CDC has changed its recommendations several years ago to do targeted testing. It's difficult to do targeted testing in our population. The CDC recommendations are for particular civilian populations. So, for example, the foreign-born or people who are homeless or that sort of thing. And we can certainly target foreign-born from high-risk countries and may well do so if and when we get around to doing targeted testing in the Army. But targeting, for example, who on a deployment might have had sufficient exposure to someone with tuberculosis to warrant testing on return, that's a little bit more difficult to target. So we're trying to develop an evidence base and come up with what would be our best two or three questions to ask people about their experience and potential exposure in a deployment that would help us target their testing. But we do see what we term pseudo-epidemics or pseudo-outbreaks of really positive tuberculosis skin tests where you look and you find no active tuberculosis anywhere, and it's probably just excess false positives. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Strength to Heal on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. John Armstrong, and with me is our guest colonel and Dr. Lisa Keep. She and I are discussing tropical medicine. Well, Dr. Keep, how do you practice tropical medicine? Well, you can, again, get involved in such a variety of ways. Some people go into direct patient care, depending on your specialty. You can do humanitarian assistance, and certainly the military is heavily involved in that. And In fact, the Army has an entire sort of job type called civil affairs, and their job is to interact with local populations in other countries, either, for example, well, we try to do it before disasters, but also after disasters or during a conflict or in the post-conflict period to try to redevelop their civil structure, really, and help it operate. And so we have preventive medicine and other medical personnel that help them get their health systems back on track. So that's a possibility. And then I was very fortunate to be able to get into some research in academia in my career. And Army Preventive Medicine in particular does a lot in terms of travel medicine and getting travelers ready to travel overseas so that they can remain healthy while they travel. And certainly we do the same thing for troops in bulk as on a population level, prepare them and keep them healthy when they're deploying. But in addition to this work on tuberculosis, I did get an opportunity actually to do a study of the first-generation quantiferon test for tuberculosis infection. It's an interferon gamma release assay, and I tested that in Navy personnel comparing it to the tuberculosis skin test. I also had an opportunity to go to Thailand and assist with a malaria drug study that was assessing azithromycin for prevention of malaria. And so, really, there are just a wide variety of opportunities, and I've been very lucky to be able to do some of these. I helped direct a different tropical medicine course from the one I direct now. It's a shorter course that only lasts four weeks, but then we have a two-week add-on for field missions. And I was able to accompany groups of students who were all physicians, but who were in our tropical medicine course down to Belize to lead them into the field and see patients. 
So I was able to do that. But there are a variety of mechanisms to get into tropical medicine and, and do some practice. Well, it sounds like you're talking about diseases that we really used to think only occurred in foreign lands. And clearly, as a tropical medicine physician, you're going to be working to prepare patients who may be going over to those foreign lands. But it also sounds like you're a bit of a detective looking at some ancient scourges and trying to prevent problems related to those scourges. What else is the Army doing with malaria? Well, the Army is actually one of the world's leading agencies for development of new anti-malarial drugs. Because we have the potential for sending troops into malarious areas, we want to try to keep them healthy. And so the Army has long, long been involved in drug development for malaria and has had a hand in or developed itself many, if not most, of our current anti-malarials. Although the Army always works with a commercial partner, and so it ends up being the commercial partner that markets it. But the Army, we have research labs overseas. The Army has a laboratory in Thailand and another laboratory in Kenya. So they do a lot of that work. And then there's also the continued search for a malaria vaccine, which would be a wonderful thing for particularly sub-Saharan Africa, where there's most of the malaria in the world. Also, the military collaborated with a commercial partner to develop a test that was just released about a year ago now. It's a malaria rapid diagnostic device called Binax Now. Everywhere in the world, there's difficulty in diagnosing malaria because it has always required someone who knows how to make a thick and thin smear on a slide and read it correctly under a microscope. And that kind of skill is very hard to come by and sustain in the Army as well as in civilian populations, even in developing countries where there is malaria. So the development of this test is helping quite a bit because it's very sensitive and specific. You can tell falciparum malaria from other species of malaria. And so that's been a wonderful development. Another product that an Army preventive medicine physician assisted in developing is a pop-up insecticide-treated net. So you may have heard of bed nets being used to prevent malaria among particularly pregnant women and children in Africa. There's an attempt to get an insecticide-treated net, long-lasting one, to everyone who lives in sub-Saharan Africa to protect them from malaria. We also go into areas that are similar and need nets, and this one is, uses technology similar to a camping tent, and it has those sort of bendy poles, and you just throw it out, and it pops open. It'll fit on a cot or on the ground. It's got sort of a waterproof bottom in it, so you could use it on the ground if you needed to. And so that's been a wonderful device that's developed. And there are several other vaccines that are in development that the Army is working on that will also help really in terms of that global health, the way we started out the conversation, a vaccine against hepatitis E, a vaccine against dengue fever, a vaccine against Japanese encephalitis, a new one. There is one, but it's going out. It uses old technology. And another one using new technology against adenovirus, which is an upper respiratory infection that affects a lot of troops when they are in initial entry training for the military. We're working on a Shigella diarrhea vaccine, for example. And because of our recent deployment in Iraq, where some of the troops got leishmaniasis, there's been a real push to improve leishmania diagnostics and treatment. And so all those things are being worked on by the Army. Well, it sounds like odd diseases are part of your everyday practice in tropical medicine, the strength to heal in U.S. Army medicine. We've been talking with Colonel and Dr. Lisa Keep. Thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Strength to Heal on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. The Strength to Heal is brought to you by the United States Army. For more information on this or any other program and to access our on-demand features, please visit us at ReachMD.com. For more information regarding Army medicine, 
Go to healthcare.goarmy.com slash heal to learn more. When we talked to Captain Ernesto Cardenas, an OBGYN in the Army Medical Corps, we asked him why he chose the Army for his practice. His answer surprised us. He didn't talk about being given an established practice or not having to worry about insurance, employees, or rent. He didn't say that he enjoyed having the most advanced technology at his disposal or being a member of one of the world's largest healthcare systems. Captain Cardenas talked about giving back to the country that had given him so much. He went on to tell us about practicing in a humanitarian mission to his native Colombia and the sense of pride he felt in providing free care to people in need there. A medical career in the U.S. Army or Army Reserve is rewarding on many levels, personal and professional. You can reward your career, your country, and your life for a lifetime. Exercise your strength to heal. Visit healthcare.goarmy.com heal to learn more. That's healthcare.goarmy.com heal.